Hello there, and thanks for tuning us in on the Main Question Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lisnett. Well, the coronavirus and the pandemic it's causing is certainly dominating our daily lives. That is the case as we're putting this episode together. But we thought it might be a good time to not talk about our present circumstance and take a look at a positive development and a brighter future, namely the future of bio or biomedical engineering. It's a growing field that may change your perception of what an engineer is and what kinds of issues the field can address these days. You might think of engineers as the folks who build bridges or design and build cars or vacuum cleaners and many of the other devices we use every day. Well, bioengineering, and particularly biomedical engineering, has a little bit of a different focus. Human and animal health, renewable energy, just to name a few topics. It straddles the line between fields like medicine, physics, and chemistry. Carissa Tilbury is someone who works on the cutting edge of this discipline. She studies how light can be used to detect diseases, gather medical information, and monitor our health. Think about what your smartwatch is able to tell you about your workouts or sleep patterns. In addition, she helps oversee the capstone projects that UMaine senior engineering students do, which effectively makes them working engineers, making real products or creating real solutions for businesses and organizations during their final year in the program. She helps us discover the answer to our main question. What is bioengineering? Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about uh, your field and the field of engineering perception versus reality. As a, as a young person, what did you think engineering was and how does that differ or how is it similar to what it actually uh, means to you today? So growing up, I actually had no idea what engineering was as a discipline. Neither of my parents went to college, so that's probably part of it. Um, but I really found out what engineers were when I was a senior trying to figure out what is going to be my college major. And I learned about this thing called biomedical engineering, and I was pretty much sold at that point. So a little bit of background of how I was sold on that, because I was thinking pre-med, biochemistry, didn't really know. Um, But I was facing something that was pretty instrumental. So I was facing complete foot reconstructive surgery. I was going to be on crutches for 20 weeks out of a year. That's half of a year, basically, rounding. Um, And I, I looked around, and I saw my sisters with their braces on their teeth, and I said, why can't we, you know, inject something soluble into bone, localize it, and then brace it at night and just slowly remove the deformity in my feet? Because, you know, chopping apart like the surgeon was going to and did eventually do seemed like what my dad did building houses and was like, we have to have a better solution than this. So that was really sort of, you know, the first time I'd heard about engineering. And I sat in this seminar and I was like, wow, people do this? You know, I had no idea, Um, and that really set off, you know, a track, and I never really looked back from that. So my perception growing up was I didn't have one, Um, and, you know, growing up, um, now realizing that, you know, you can't actually inject something that's going to stay local into your foot and have this miracle thing (laughs) that you do that with, particularly in your heel bone, because you have a lot of blood flowing through the heel bone, so keeping that localized is is a really big struggle. So, you know, pie-in-the-sky idea... But it was enough to set off a very motivated, passionate student to to really 
tackle all the problems and challenges that I faced as, as an undergrad. Well, maybe that'll be a future research project, right? Who, who knows? Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, engineering, might, you might think of it as somebody who builds bridges or yeah. builds a motor or something like that. Bioengineering, maybe define what that is for people. What is bio, you hear bio or biomedical yeah. engineering. Are, are those different or is it basically the same thing? So bio versus biomedical engineering is really the same thing. It's a slight nuance. So bioengineering, it's, think of, you know, a rectangle and a square definition is sort of the same thing as bio versus biomedical engineering. So bioengineering is a little bit more broad in that it does include a little bit more biology, but from accreditation standpoints, it's the same thing. Um, so biomedical is typically people restrict that more to human health and a little bit less animal health um, is sort of a, dif- a difference between those two, the square versus rectangle definition. But really what both fields are is it's really the intersection of biology, physics, and engineering coming all together. So because of that, it's, it's, this, the curriculum is quite challenging and you have to know a lot in a lot of different areas. Um, and that's why there's also a lot of subdisciplines that come out of that. So, and some of the subdisciplines look more like electrical engineering, for example, and some of them look more like mechanical engineering. So they all have their own flavors. And some of them also, like our department here at the University of Maine, has a history of coming out of a chemical engineering department as well. So it came out of those three areas. And so a little a back off. So how is it different from biology? Um, so generally, the field of biomedical engineering is different from just straight up biology because we are going to go in and actually create model systems and be able to tune different things and look at the outcomes. And then based off of those models, then use those outputs that we measured and then put that into an, an additional model to predict the next thing. So it's a more iterative process of going back and forth. So in my own individual research, sometimes I look more like a physicist. Um, and how are we different from physics? Well, we tend to be a, a little bit more applied. I mean, there's also applied physics. Um, so, but oftentimes we're gonna take the, the approaches and the big question, particularly in biomedical engineering is, what's the clinical or the translational hook? So we're motivated always by how does this get out of our labs and go into a clinical setting and ultimately help people? Right. Um, and, and if you think about it, I mean, everything from making oil from algae to making paper to biomedical devices, I mean, we, we see this all around us. And, and it just, you know, now if you think about it, there's bioengineering everywhere you look. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about being a younger woman in this field. Will we see more women choosing this path? What, what's uh, sort of the trends there? Yeah, so I think so. So if you look at biomedical engineering, we're a little bit different from other engineering disciplines, particularly if you look over in electrical or mechanical. So over there, seeing women is, is quite rare. Um, but in biomedical engineering, we, we actually make about 50%. That's a little bit nuanced by the different disciplines within biomedical engineering. So if I look at my home discipline of biomedical optics, so we're only about 20% of the field is currently women, and I've seen a lot of growth in that. So when I was a young PhD student, I attended a small Gordon Research Conference, and I was one of a handful of women at the entire conference of about 150 people. Fast forward to about two years ago, I went back, and the number of women increased dramatically so that I could could count them, you know, on more than two hands, which was, you know, pretty remarkable and a big shift. So I think that, you know, as we go forward, I think more women are going to continue to choose this path. Um, 
I think it's really because if you think about biomedical engineering and sort of what women like are drawn to is they're drawn to helping people. And there's very clear connections between biomedical engineering and helping people. And, you know, maybe those connections are a little bit less clear in some of the other disciplines, um, such as biomedical optics. But I'm hopeful that the growth that we've seen will continue. And, you know, ultimately, we really need to have a, a really good, diverse group of people thinking about engineering because we do need universal, universal design. The world will be a much better place with that in place. You, you sent me what your research focus was, and I started to try to unpack that and then quickly, quickly got out of my depth. So maybe you could explain um, you know, and break it down for us. Uh, Bio-optics is your area. As you said, um, what does that mean? And, and so what kinds of problems or issues do you tackle? Yeah. So basically what I'm interested in is how do photons, which are basically light particles or light waves, that's a, you know, million-dollar question, how does light behave when lots of physicists did lots of experiments to prove that it in fact behaves as both a light wave and a light particle, and it depends on the situation at hand, which physics I'm going to use um, to describe that. But basically, biomedical optics is really the interaction of light with tissue. So there's a couple different things that can happen when light interacts with tissue. You can have direct reflectance off of the surface. Um, you can have photons that go in and absorb and are scattered and then are ultimately reflected back off the surface or transmitted all the way through. So just think about some things that you have in your daily life that include biomedical optics are if you have a Fitbit on your wrist right now or a pulse oximetry when you go to the doctor's office, that's all light interaction with tissue and you can get really important readouts with it. And you can do that without labels. Sometimes we have to add labels. Um, but a big goal that I have is to do label-free imaging and basically look and peer into physiology and biology and look at it from the lens of Google satellite imaging, but at this, the physiology cell level. So there's different optical approaches that can look at um, tissue, so that's a correlate to Google imaging, as if you're looking at the buildings imaging. And then if you zoom into the street view, you can see the individual street signs and cars and building entrances. That's like the cell level. So at the end of the day, I want to create a suite of optical tools that can seamlessly go between building level and street level views of physiology and biology. And so what kind of questions specifically or problems are you trying to tackle? Is it, is it disease detection? Yeah, generally I'm focused on disease detection. So a couple of different projects that I have ongoing. Um, so I, I kind of am more of a tool builder, and then I go find applications, or get to work with people that are having direct applications. So some of those direct applications right now is with Andre Khalil of the CompuMain lab. So he has this really cool um, computational biophysics-based metric that's looking at ma mammograms and looking at it and, and showing that he, maybe there's some signs of um, something to be concerned about before you're actually diagnosed. So right now, the state of the art in terms of cancer diagnosis is surgery and a pathologist. So what if we could unwind that and, and kind of not have to go through surgery and have some sort of snippets of what's happening instead of our current state of medicine is very reactive and if we could be more predictive is a, is a big goal. Um, another project that's in collaboration with both the Townsend and the CompuMain lab is really trying to understand the adipose tissue microenvironment. So if you look around, obesity is a global epidemic. So it's, it's bad amongst adults, it's bad amongst children. And the children is a really big concern because we know obesity is bad, leads to lots of disease, other diseases. But think about a child. 
they're developing. And we don't really have a good sense of what is obesity doing developmentally? Um, that's a large problem. And then another aspect that I'm working on is with the Henry Lab on campus. So she's very interested in muscular dystrophy and, and trying, she has a grad student, Elizabeth Kilroy, who's exercising fish using electrical stimulation. And we're, we're seeing, um, we can image myosin, which is the fundamental structure of a sarcomere, which is the building blocks of your muscles to allow them to generate force. So we can image those without labels and actually tell the difference. And are they responding to exercise or not is, is the big question there. So those are some, a, a, a array of projects I have going on, and you can tell they're, they're quite broad. Right. M- m- many different areas to, to explore, for sure. Engineering, I mean, one definition or one big part of it is problem solving. Um, so how do you teach that to undergrads here at Maine? How do you teach them how to basically do research, come up with a question, and figure out how to answer it? Yeah, so we get them started right away when they get here their first year. So we have um, project-based problems throughout the curriculum, and their first-year engineering classes are really quite fun. So in the first semester, they're already uh, designing and building an egg holder. So they're given this problem statement that they're in Arizona, it's this hot desert, and they have to keep this egg in a cooler. And oh, by the way, the air conditioning in your car broke, so you can forget about that trying to help maintain the temperature in your car as you're driving across. And they can't let the egg get to a certain temperature, so they have to go look up what is that temperature that the egg can be kept at so it can be fertilized in the lab that you're driving it to and transport it. So they build it out of um, styrofoam and caulk, and they have heat lamps, and they actually take data, and it's it's really quite fun, and they, they enjoy it a lot. So right out of the gate, freshman year. And then the second and third years are more core curriculum-based, so... They're, they're kind of the dreaded years, if you will, but we still have projects involved in them. And we, we look to our own backyard. So uh, within the last couple of years, we hired um, Professor Bob Bowie, who came to us with a lot of experience in search and rescue and medical as an ER doctor. And so he comes up with these problem statements. And one of them that we do in the second year is understanding hypothermia in a person out in Maine in cold winters. So it, it's relatable to the students because a lot of our students are coming from UMaine and it's also relatable to anyone that comes from a cold climate. Um, so we have that project as well. And then third year, we have lots of lab classes. So at the end of the day, you have to teach them sort of the nitty gritty aspects of experimental design and how do you actually use instruments. And that's really where they learn those skills. And then finally, the last year, they have a senior capstone design course, and it's a whole year long. And actually, right now, we're getting we're gearing up to assign on Thursday our juniors their capstone project for the next year. And I just was reading their one-page proposals, and it's really fun. I get to learn more about the students in their own personal lives and see what's driving them for their selection of particular projects. And it's a really fun class to teach, and that's really really they get to blossom and, and sh- show us how much they've learned in the last three years. So in that process, they have real-world clients, and they're working with mentors, and they create and they design um, based on design constraints that they formulate based on what they find out in the market and interviewing other stakeholders, whether that be their clients themselves, insurance, like people that work with insurance companies and understanding what's billable, what's not billable, what can get through the FDA, for example, and all those things are kind of woven into that um, through the curriculum. So that's a really good way. And outside of typical courseways, 
We also encourage our students to do a lot of undergraduate research opportunities. So we're fortunate we have things like the Cougar, the College of Undergraduate Research, and our department is has a pretty good history of getting lots of students that have Cougar funds. Um, students can complete that. They can do honors thesis. Um, just this last January, I had an undergrad who's been working with me since his freshman year. He actually presented at SBIE Photonics West, which is the largest international conference in biomedical optics. So he presented his own work there, which was really, really fantastic and, and cool to see. When uh, a student does a capstone project, I mean, they're essentially functioning as an engineer and, and doing what, you know, grad students are doing in many cases. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that is absolutely fair to say. So we expect them to, you know, their, their day is within being hired by an engineering firm or going off to graduate school. So the expectation is that they're functioning at that level. So yeah, absolutely. Talk about some of the breakthroughs or trends that we might see that are going to become more prevalent. Uh, are we on the verge of a lot of, of these technologies coming into our lives and, and tackling issues, solving problems? Yeah, so I'm going to focus here on biomedical optics. Um, so that's a particularly really hot area. So if you look at healthcare, you think about imaging and you probably think about ultrasound, x-ray, CT, MRI. So now I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. So right now, medical imaging is biomedical optics, so light interaction, accounts for 64% of the entire market. So that's $72 billion a year in biomedical optics. So it's not just all imaging. It's also involved in like biomedical robots for surgery robots and sensing of things like that. A big new area that I think we're going to see a lot pop up is wearable tech. I think a lot of us have proof of that on our wrists right now with Fitbit, smartwatches of some sort. But I just want to highlight some really cool work that's going on at Vanderbilt by Audrey Bowden and her group. So she has this functional near-infrared spectroscopy that is, for the first time, taking it outside of the lab and actually creating an open source headband structure that can be placed on the foreheads of children and can actually track brain processes and brain hemodynamics doing things like soccer practice and learn kind of how children are making decision processes in development. So that's, that's really quite exciting. It's almost like some of these movies you see of Minority Report or some movies like that. I mean, these things are now going to be real. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about the job prospects. It seems like the lines are blurring between uh, a medical doctor and an engineer and a physicist and uh, biotech is sort of wrapping all around it. Are labels going to change as some of these things start to roll out? That's a really great question. So in addition to just engineers, there's actually around the nation a, a theme popping up of engineering-based medical schools. So there's one in Champaign-Urbana and there's one also in Texas. So I think the medical community is realizing that technology is a huge part of medicine and maybe we should be training our doctors to be more mindful of technology and what better way than to include engineers in that process. Even outside of medical education, Vanderbilt also has another program that includes basic scientists and engineers that can after they complete their terminal degree, go back to medical school. So I think absolutely we're going to see more of that in the future where that program is much more targeted towards policy and kind of more administrative aspects of, of that. Um, but the prospects for students that want to study biomedical engineering, so it is routinely one of the fastest growing fields listed um, by all the kind of higher ed college board sources. Um, and if we kind of zoom in closer to Maine, um, there's a, a growing biomedical engineering 
list of companies in the area, and several of our students have actually gone off and created startups um, in that avenue. So I think it's quite an exciting time um, to be in. And so we're going to see jobs come to Maine and, and companies grow. I mean, it'll have an ep- economic impact. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about some of the skills or strength, areas of strength a young person needs to get into this field? Do you have to be a math genius and no calculus by the time you're 13? or? No, you don't need to know calculus by the time you're 13. I, I certainly didn't. Um, so you don't have to be a math genius, but you can't hate math either. Um, you can have a love-hate relationship with math. Math is sort of the language that's tying a lot of things together in engineering. So you have to be able to do it, but you don't have to be a mathematic genius. Um, other things that I think you need to have in order to be successful are, are, are fairly generic. I think it's not necessarily tied to a particular field, but you have to be passionate. You have to get up every day and be like, I want to learn something new. And not be afraid of a challenge and, and having a problem that looks you know, insurmountable that you yeah. have to tackle. Yeah, you have to figure out how to take bite-sized pieces off of that and you know, be persistent. You, know, you might fail. And failure is okay. Like, it's not a bad thing. I think there's a lot of fear of failure, and people want to be perfectionist. And just know that everyone fails, and it's, it's those that, you know, dust themselves up and off and get back up again that are successful. So we ask this of a lot of people we talk to on this podcast. Um, if you look out, pick your, pick your time frame, five or ten years or even longer. What excites you? What draws your attention the big picture future for this field um, here at UMaine and beyond in the in the larger engineering world. Yeah, so I have a really easy answer to that. So there's a lot of excitement here at UMaine. So right now, um, we have we will be moving into the third floor of a brand new building called the Furland Engineering Education Building, and biomedical engineering is going to get the entire third floor. So we have new teaching um, labs as well as state of the art research facilities, and in that which is really cool for me, we have an entire imaging suite. So we're going to have the ability to build more instruments. So right now we're, we're definitely at capacity limitations here in Jeunesse Hall. So being able to move over there is going to be awesome. And then we're going to be in this bright, shiny new building um, that is going to have the, – the goal is to have everyone that comes to campus go through this building. And, you know, it's going to just be exciting. It's going to have the awe and the excitement that – you know, really is going to foster just a student mindset as well as curiosity and, you know, K through 12 students as they pass through this building of what's going on here? How can I get involved? So I think the future is really bright for academic and research pursuits in the field of biomedical engineering in May. Well, thank you so much. Exciting times. Thanks for uh, sharing uh, some of your thoughts with us. All right. Thanks. You can check out all of our episodes, which can be found in places like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We love to hear questions you may have or what you think of our show. Shoot us a note at mainquestion at maine.edu. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question.